Emilio said, we'll be looking into a message of thanksgiving. And this is a special message as every opportunity to preach the Word of God and to open up the Scriptures with you is special. This one has an extra measure of, of specialness for me as this is the first psalm I've had the privilege of preaching and opening up with you. So please turn with me to Psalm 138. Psalm 138. A praise of David and really the, the superscript in, in my Bible, my copy, says it well. A great summary A thanksgiving for the Lord's favor. So read with me Psalm 138. And the voice of the Lord says to us today, I will give you thanks with all my heart. I will sing praises to you before the gods. I will bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word according to all your name. On the day I called, you answered me. You made me bold with strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth will give thanks to you, O Lord, when they have heard the words of your mouth, and they will sing the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is exalted, yet he regards the lowly. But the haughty he knows from afar. And though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch forth your hand against the wrath of my enemies. And your right hand will save me. The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. Your everlasting, your loving kindness, O Lord, is everlasting. Do not forsake the works of your hands. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you. We praise you, O God, and your holy name for who you are, majestic and high above the heavens. And thank you, Father, for the eternal plan of condescension of your glorious Son on our behalf, that we may know you And we may know eternal life. And we may know now, Father, in this life, this day, your promises to us. Father, we ask, O God, that your Holy Spirit be ever present, ever working, Lord, as we examine your word, as we look into David's heart and his prayer, his song of thanks to you. Lord, may we make this our own song and prayer and praise. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You may be seated. As many of you know very, very well, the experiences, the joys of of reading, studying, and meditating through the Psalter is to be, and may we be continually amazed at God's divine work in in inspiring and overseeing the collection of these, really what these are. The Psalter is a collection of of praises 
of, of poems and songs, both individual and national. And as they are expressed through all the various authors, from David through Asaph and Solomon, from the sons of Korah through Moses and even Heman. And you know how rich in theology the Psalms are. Calvin's favorite Psalm was 73, and he said that you can find all of the Lord's theology in the Psalter. But even deeper is to be amazed at at the purposeful use of the Hebrew language. I I have to stop at times and just take several steps back. I I like to look at the big picture and understand these things, but just just to see how even so specific was the Father to use the Hebrew language in writing these praises. Because in, in this gift to us, this language can function across any other language without a dependency on, on rhyme or meter. But what's most impacting to us as we reread and meditate on the Psalter is that while they are full of theology, they speak to us, they speak for us, and, and in many cases, they reflect and speak and share the same things our hearts desire to cry out and say to the Lord. They are a magnificent pattern for worship throughout everyday realities that we all face, every possible circumstance, every suffering, as we just read. And they re- wonderfully provide for us in every situation grounds for expressing this praise and this thanks. As Calvin says, too, that they are for us the opportunity to express praise, prayer, and piety in our lives. And this particular psalm, Psalm 138 before us, is the first of the last eight psalms in Book 5 that that belong to David particularly. And in in these eight psalms are his prayer, his song, his praise of thanksgiving that come directly from his heart, from his life, and, and from his hand for us. And thanksgiving, true thanksgiving from the heart that is, that is focused particularly and primarily toward God and on God and all of his attributes is a distinctive mark of true spirituality in a person. It is an evidence of the work of grace by the Spirit of God. Giving thanks to the Lord through, through praise, through prayer, is, is the evidence of the Lord God himself actually being at work in your life. True thanksgiving goes beyond mere lip service. It's, it's not something the world knows or the unsaved, because an unregenerate person has no true spiritual life, no life from God. No life from the Spirit of Christ that will enable from their inner being to, to usher forth any kind of true thanksgiving and praise to God or actually to, to anyone else in their life because the unsaved are, are spiritually blind and unable to experience this in their soul. And we can say that, that true thanksgiving has with it a, a moral aspect, a, a moral component that the unregenerate in the world does not know. True thanksgiving, heartfelt thankfulness, carries with it a reality within the believer 
in God's ultimate worth and the sinner's, our own unworthiness and desperate need before him as a creature. Remember what Paul says in Romans 1.21 where he's talking about the unrighteous, unrighteousness of men excuse me, who, who suppress the truth. He says that for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. True, those in the world, we often hear people say, thank you, I appreciate that, you didn't have to do that for some gift or gesture on their behalf, but, but even found within their response, there, there's a presence of pride, of self-worth that, that comes with their response, a, a sense of worth or due, an attitude, if you will, of entitlement. But for the child of God, for those who have been awakened and regenerated by the Holy Spirit, there is this renewed sense, this awakening in the soul to the reality of who God is and who we are as creatures in desperate need of all things in this life. And having realized how we have been separated from God by this great chasm of sin and that it is only now through the finished work of our glorious mediator that we are made suitable to have access to the throne of grace. For you know well it is only from and through and to Christ that in all of this every believer is able to truly understand and express thanksgiving, praise, gratitude from that renewed heart to a saving God in our, our words, our songs, our attitudes, and all that we do. Thanksgiving in the believer's heart is also a sign of the maturing work that God has both begun and is continuing to do in us. For a maturing faith, a, a trust and dependence upon God, sees and understands it to be the hand of God that is at work in your life. In all aspects. And this continuous maturing work is always, always for good as it is truly from and by the Lord. And it is this, this thanksgiving that David offers, this subset, if you will, of praise that is expressed by the believer in song and hymn and spiritual song. For if we truly believe, Romans 8.28, that all things do work together for the good of those who love him, we will see that we've been dealt with such, in such a great and gracious manner, far beyond what anyone deserves in this life and in the one to come. For we all deserve the payment due for our own sin, the wages the payment due, that of death and hell and eternal separation from God and eternal torment and guilt. Now, as I said, this particular psalm is one of many in the Psalter that I pray would move us today as a body, as it has in my heart and soul, to unashamedly, unashamedly express our thanks to God with whole hearts, to praise him for his deliverance because we now live this side of the cross after the incarnation, after the crucifixion, after the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Christ in the age and reign of Christ through the Holy Spirit. 
we have a huge privilege here because we have read in the full canon of Scripture a clear revelation of God's delivering power that even David himself did not yet know or see, and he did not understand in his time. David was able to look back at the, the exodus at the, the, of, of Israel, the testimony of the deliverance of Israel. He knew of the anointing by the prophet Samuel and to the favor God had shown him in calling him and with the glorious promises of God's covenant to him and to the kingdom God was establishing in and through him. As we read in, in 2 Samuel 7 where God says, I took you from pa- the pasture from following the sheep to be ruler over my people. However, David could not look back on the things that you and I can see in Scripture, that God has done and experienced the reality of Christ's work. But when we read this psalm and we hear the voice of David's heart, of one who was all in for God and gives his whole heart in thanks and praise to God, can we in this day and age of the revelation that we've been given, let David outpraise and outthink us. Consider, and may we know that this can and will mortify our complaining, our mumbling, our whining, our grumbling, and even those risings to self-pity and selfishness. For as I said, remember the mark of maturity and growth in the believer by the grace of Christ, is seen in an ever-growing heart manifesting thanks and gratitude and praise to God. This is the central theme of what David is, is publicly expressing from his own heart in Psalm 138. And realize, too, David is not living a life of ease and comfort. He has suffered. It is not a simple time. It's a time of testing for him a time of great difficulty, but he shows forth great maturity of heart in these eight powerful verses. And I want to look at these eight verses in three headings, and it's wonderful that Scripture has already created and provided the outline for us here. But in these three parts, the first being David's commitment to thanksgiving in verses 1 to 3, we're going to look at his personal commitment to give thanks Part two is the community of thanksgiving, verses four to six, going from an individual thanks to an international thanks, if you will. And the third heading is a confidence through thanksgiving, verses seven to eight. David's ongoing confidence in God's will. And now as we we look at this passage, and in particular these first three verses, of David's commitment to expressing and and really living his thanksgiving to God. I pray, as I have been, Lord, that you would use this word to work upon our hearts and souls to encourage us to be a more grateful and thankful people, for it is God himself that is at work in our lives. And in doing so, I I offer to you, I, I challenge you, Let us make this a first-person psalm for ourselves. Because just as David does here, he begins with, I will. There there is an emphatic meaning in this. I will give you thanks with all my heart. 
this should be our personal prayer to God. To offer thanks, to sing praises to him. For it's not enough for us just to read and understand that, yes, David is, is going through a tough time. He's, he's giving thanks and praise to God. No, the intent is for each one of us to enter into this as well and make this our own, make this our commitment, our intent of heart and lives to give thanks to God, to offer a sacrifice of praise, if you will, for what he has done on our behalf through Christ. And the reason is in David's words, his commitment to God, very specific words that he uses in the first two verses, and he starts it again with a powerful intention of, I will. And the thrust of this, the meaning behind this is David is saying that he intends that no matter what, no matter what, I will give you thanks. I will sing praises to you, Lord. I will bow down. Because David's driven by something much deeper than just his emotions, even though they are involved and they are good, but it is much deeper. It is a volition of his will. It is from the depth of his soul. And while David doesn't specifically mention or use the Lord's name here, David is, is so consumed and united in his heart and purposefully given thanks to the Lord as one who is so close, aware of his desperate need, and God is so dear to his heart. We know this, this very familiar prayer in, in Psalm 86.11, again, where he sets the intention of his will, but he also considers the condition of his heart. You know this verse, Psalm 86.11, Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. And David has learned that to fear God is both the beginning, it is, it is the growth, it is the maturity of wisdom in both knowing God and worshiping him. And just as his heart must be united to fear and know God, so must our hearts be united to give proper worship, proper fear, proper thanks to God. Our hearts cannot be divided toward God. We cannot serve two masters. So with all of his heart, he commits to thanksgiving, giving thanks to the Lord, not, not mumbling, but fervently as we should, as, as we worship the Lord, even in the midst of trying and afflicting times, as he was with, with enemies from within and outside his own family. We see this down just in the same psalm here, verse 7. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, he's in the very midst of it. And he's currently in the thick of things, yet he resolves in his heart to not crumble, to commit himself wholeheartedly to giving thanks to God in praise. And now David continues in this same commitment with another I will and says, I will sing praises to you before the gods. But what is David exactly referring to here by saying before the gods? Your Bibles may have a, a footnote that says something like angels or kings or judges. But the lowercase g, gods, is the correct interpretation. Because remember, both David and the nation of Israel are, are in this context. They're surrounded by a world filled with polytheistic beliefs. And so David is, in a sense, declaring war on the false gods in this psalm through his thanksgiving. 
and actually singing out both privately and publicly in praise. Very much like David is reiterating and singing back to the Lord the very words of the Lord that Moses inscribed in Deuteronomy 4.35 and 32.39, which say this, God saying to the people of Israel, to you it has been shown that you might know that the Lord, he is God. There is no other beside him. And in 32.39, see now that I, I am he, and there is no God besides me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded, and it is I who heal, and there is no one who can deliver from my hand. It is the same for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refusing to bow down to the golden image of Nebuchadnezzar. Or even in our day, for a believer to stand up in a Muslim nation and say and declare, I will praise you, the Holy One, the true God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and not this false God, Allah. And it, as the commentator, Alan Ross, who has been a huge resource, praise the Lord, says in a paraphrased sense here, I love this, David is praising the greatness and glory of Yahweh in the face, so to speak, of the false gods, rendering these false gods as witnesses to the glory of the one true God. Let's bring this home. Do we share in this same wholehearted thanks and praise to the one true God over all other potential false gods offered to us in the world today? Is it a choice of our will that we can say to the Lord God, you alone are better than, say, the God of pornography, the God of drunkenness, that regardless of anyone else's suggestions and attempts to lead you into false perceptions, that this is what really will bring you true satisfaction What about the God of power and reputation, the one appealing to our ambition and our influence over others? Are we really able to say, Lord, you alone are truly better than any power or reputation that this world or any company or any position or salary can offer me? And we can fill in the blank with a thousand other false gods or idols in this world just vying for our worship and our surrender. Or can we honestly and humbly say in the very presence of these other gods, you alone, Lord, I praise you before these gods. There is no one I delight in more. There is no one I enjoy more, no one I love more, no one I treasure more. No one offers the true satisfaction that you do. Is this the attitude of our hearts? Now, we've not only seen the commitment and exuberance of David's thanksgiving and praise, both in his private and public singing, but now we look even deeper into the posture and the attitude of David's own heart with the third, I will bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and truth. Our thanks to God and the reality of our utter dependence upon him must be done with an inward heart posture 
of being bowed down with humility and reverence in our heart toward God. The, the posture of our very soul must be clothed with humility to give thanks to God. Could this be the very reason we do not offer more thanks and praise to God because we have not humbled ourselves enough before God? David knew this well. He knew this very well. Remember what he prayed after the sin of adultery and murder was exposed by Nathan the prophet. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. David's thanksgiving and praise could only be offered in humility and lowliness of heart. And in, and in keeping with this theocentric worship, he, he directs his thanks to the name of God. David's thanks to God was, was riveted upon the name of God. And so we must remember that the name of God himself describes the totality of who God is. It is the revelation of himself, and it represents his personhood, his attributes, his, his character, all the being of all that he is. And see how intensely personal David is addressing his thanks to God. He's saying, I'll give you thanks to you for who you are. Just how, how theocentric this is in his heart. And he, he, he sets and directs all of his thanks and praise to the name of God for what he describes next as he defines the reason for his thanks. Two specific attributes of God are brought forth for thanks and remembrance of what God has done on his behalf and on ours. He continues there in verse 2, and give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truth. It is the eternal covenant love of God and his faithfulness. The, these two glorious attributes are often joined together and translated different ways through the Psalter. Grace and truth, loving kindness and faithfulness. And you're very familiar with this word, loving kindness, but in reality, this truth should melt our hearts and cause us to break out singing the hallelujah chorus every time we walk out these doors. It is the Hebrew word hesed, which means God's loyal love. God is so committed to you, unconditional in his love toward you, and unfailing in his love toward you. It is an unending love toward you, Look at verse 8. Your loving kindness, O Lord, is everlasting. Now, through eternity, never diminishing, never wavering, never improved upon, never refocused on some other object, but directed to you right now. It is a perfect love for us that is through his son, Jesus Christ. And as with David, there is nothing, nothing that would cause the Lord to rescind his love toward him or toward us. Again, look to the New Testament, Paul's glorious exhortation. Very familiar passage. Romans 8, 38 and 39. Just as David, for I am convinced. Are we convinced? 
that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Just reflect again, too, on a moment back in the Psalms. Psalm 40, verse 11. You, O Lord, will not withhold your compassion from me. Your loving kindness and your truth will continually preserve me. Amen. We have every possible reason to thank and praise God fervently for his extraordinary love for us. And secondarily in this verse is the reality of his glorious truth. Everything that God communicates to us, everything that he conveys to us through the scriptures, it bears witness with reality. It will not in any way deviate from the way things really are. God will never misrepresent himself, the future, any of his works or his word. We, we know this in John seventeen seventeen, Sanctify them in the truth, for your word is truth. And the sanctifying work, both initiated and continued by God, is through his word to us and in us. It never changes. It never fails in its purpose and its desired plan by the Lord. Now, what David is reflecting on here as he focuses in on these attributes and by saying in the last part of verse 2, for you have magnified your word according to all your name, is just how God demonstrated his love to David at all times and in every situation. God has truly kept his word, his promise, his written word. And God has done this in such a way as to preserve and deliver David in life and death situations, but also on the promise of even his future seed, the future king through his own family and his eternal inheritance. So we can and we should, we must sing as well that it is because of every aspect of God's name, God's worth, God's word, his very own keeping power that David expresses his thanksgiving to God with his whole heart. May this too be the source and purpose of thanks in our hearts. However, David also realized that even in these times of desperate need, of, of crying out and calling out to God with, with full confidence, full confidence in the Lord's hearing and answering, that the Lord's purpose or provision, his, his response to his need, was directed inward at the heart, at the soul. For he says in verse 3 that, On the day I called, you answered me. You made me bold with strength in my soul. I found this very, very interesting, very worth some investigation. David's cry was not any different than our own. It was possibly very likely as ours are for some maybe external situation, solution, a circumstance, a, a deliverance from a threat. He was in difficult times. 
maybe even some change in a relationship. But what the Lord sees, what he looks upon, is the heart, and he knows perfectly what is needed, a strengthening of soul, an inward transforming perseverance that results in in glorious thanks. It's an overflow of thanks and praise for seeing the Lord's hand at work in the very midst of the circumstance, in the very midst of the flames of the furnace. For the Lord is truly always available to hear the cry and the plead of the righteous. But he does not always answer our prayers in the way that we pray them or ask them. We sang this, Pastor Emilio read from Second Corinthians. But he will answer them better than we pray them according to his infinite wisdom. And this is what happened to David. And just as it was David's response to thank and praise God with his whole heart, so it should be with us. So please hear this. Please do not be discouraged when it seems that God is not hearing. He's, he's not responding in a timely manner, a way that we might expect and hope and dream of. For the Lord may delay. He may even respond with a no and in either case, may, may our hearts know, may we know in our souls with confidence and thanksgiving that he hears and he will answer according to his name and truth and for our good. So we've seen the commitment of David's heart to thanksgiving privately and publicly. And now we come to our second point, our second heading, the community of thanksgiving. We read in verses 4 to 6 that all the kings of the earth will give thanks to you, O Lord, when they have heard the words of your mouth, and they will sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is exalted, yet he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Now it's interesting that David takes a shift here from a first person declaration to a second person proclamation because it's encompassing now a larger community of people it has has an international sense to it now it is an answer to David's prayer with a prophetic view that eventually will happen one day this thanksgiving will include all nations kings and peoples David himself experienced the Lord's favor and call in that the Lord selected this humble shepherd. David had been strengthened by the Lord and now is king over Israel. And he looks forward to when the fulfillment of God's promises of a future king, Christ himself, who will be publicly established over all kingdoms in the radiance of his glory at his return. So David declared, look at this very closely, all the kings of the earth will give thanks to you when they have heard the words of your mouth, and they will sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. There is such a great eschatological truth in this verse, a view that is looking forward with a promise to a future reality. All the kings of the earth, all the rulers and the nations will in time come to understand and respond either either in a saving faith prior to but more likely in a faith that of the demons that they can only shudder when the glory of the Lord is revealed and there will be a hearing and an understanding of the glory of the Lord that will result in all peoples all kings all rulers from every nation tribe and tongue 
to do what Philippians 2.10 says, that at the name of Jesus, there will be no doubt and declaration of who he is, that every knee will bow. Those who are both in heaven and on earth and under the earth, when Christ alone is exalted and revealed from heaven at his glorious return, there will be a truly unavoidable, unquenchable final declaration that will literally sing the ways of the Lord. Can you imagine what was rising up in David's heart at the inspiration of these words? The hope that was birthed in his soul. He expresses the same prophetic view earlier in Psalm 102. So the nations will fear the name of the Lord and all kings of the earth your glory. For the Lord has built upon Zion. He has appeared in his glory. What a glorious truth. And again, even the prophet Isaiah, I won't read the entire passage, take note of it. Isaiah 52, 13 through Isaiah 53, 12, where the kings of the earth will be completely astounded when they see this great glory of Christ, who suffered and died for the sins of the lowly. For no king, no president, no monarch, no dictator, no ruler in this world could ever dream of either doing this or even accomplishing this. Great is the glory of the Lord. Now, verse 6, I think, was really the climactic point within this psalm, within this second point of our our sermon, because it further explains the form of the revelation of God's glory that was experienced in David's life. And it is a central truth and experience for us as believers. For though the Lord is exalted, yet he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Truly, the Lord God is majestic, high above the heavens, ruler of heaven and earth, far above all his created wonders. It is by the works of loving kindness and mercy and grace that he condescends to the lowly. He has regard for the humble, the broken, the contrite, those who understand their inability to deliver themselves from sin or even from their oppressors. How true this was in David's life. And for each of us here that can attest to this, You know in Psalm verse 8 how well, or Psalm 8, how well David expresses this. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you have ordained. I just stopped and considered that for a moment. When I graduated from high school, Voyager was launched, 1977. It is now over 13 billion miles from Earth, and it hasn't reached the extents of our universe. 40 years of travel. That amazes us, but what should amaze us more is how the heavens declare the majesty of the Lord, His greatness, 
And when you consider all that and then continue with David, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? James encouraged the saints in Jerusalem in his letter to remind them that it is God who faithfully gives grace to the humble, to the lowly. Such effective grace that will come to us through Christ for every need. But it is only those who are lonely, who have mourned over their sin, who are meek and contrite in heart, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who enter in through the narrow gate that leads to life. These are those whom God regards that God will revive to salvation and eternal life. But God says, those who are afar, I have no regard for you. Those who are self-righteous, who have a self-sufficiency, who are self-aggrandizing, who will never experience the peace of God, who, who cannot even express true thanksgiving, and neither will they behold his glory in eternity, for he is truly opposed to the proud. Turn with me quickly over to Psalm 101. I want to look at this with you. Psalm 101, verse 5. Very powerful words. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. No one who has a haughty look and an arrogant heart will I endure. God secretly knows our hearts. He knows our words. He hears everything. But those who fail to heed his call to repentance and faith in Christ will know nothing of his peace and nothing of his life, nothing of what it is to know and to be able to thank God Almighty. We've looked at David's heart of commitment to thanksgiving to the Lord and to the community of thanksgiving that will encompass the world at Christ's coming. How great thanksgiving and praise will be ushered forth in the Lord's glory and how he condescends to the lowly with saving grace and is so distant from the haughty. And now our third and final point. We see that David returns back to, to the first person, singular here, as he, as he exposes his heart even more. But we see here in our third point the confidence through thanksgiving that David has. He expresses such an intense personal appreciation and thanksgiving to God in this final song of prayer as, as, he, as he looks forward in life in expectation and anticipation of what God will do, that though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch forth your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save me. The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. Oh, because your loving kindness, O oh Lord, is everlasting. Do not forsake the works of your hands. David is not kept from trouble. None of us are promised a life of ease and freedom from trouble. 
And those who know and follow the Lord will suffer. Suffer for the sake of Christ, for the name of Christ, because of our belief in Christ. Jesus warned us of this. Peter told us not to be surprised by our fiery ordeals. No one will be exempt. But the difference for David and for us is that these deep theological truths of Scripture are for the daily needs of this life. Whatever these needs are, the Father already knows. And the reality of knowing, being in intimate communion with the true and living God through Jesus Christ, whose name is above every name, whose desire it is to give grace, to give a soul strength, to bring reviving life in the midst of and through affliction, and even with confrontations with, with enemies, unseen enemies, both within and without. And who has and will condescend his love and power to accomplish everything that concerns our lives in and through Christ will deliver us ultimately in that glorious consummation of his mercy. He will never forsake the works of his hands on our behalf. He is the reason for our hearts to overflow with thanksgiving and gratitude. This is the prayer of David on many occasions and should be our prayer each and every day, each new morning as we come before the Lord seeking his daily and ever sufficient grace. And may it be our forward-looking prayer as it was for David with confident expectation, not presumptive worth on our part, but knowing how God has so faithfully worked in David's life and his testimony and in our lives that he can say, O Lord, you will stretch forth your hand to both ward off the enemies and save me. It's because when we lose sight of the abundant blessings of God that have been lavished on us in Christ and all of his goodness that our hearts become cold and indifferent, distracted. We, we tend to look at ourselves, our obstacles, our afflictions, our inconveniences, our circumstances, whatever, even other men, and then we grow weary. So as a reminder, to stir you up by way of reminder, let us set our minds upon Christ. Let us continue to thank and praise God that he will, and according to his often inscrutable promises, accomplish what he has for each of us, for our families, for our soon-to-be families, for this body, this very church, and for the church universal. For truly his loving kindness is everlasting and is always with us. All that God has begun in us, his work of his hands, may we find rest and trust in knowing that he will not forsake us or ever leave us, that that work will continue, that he will walk with us and direct us. He will provide for all of our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. How can we not give abundant thanks to a great God like this? Let's pray. Oh, almighty God, we, we do give you 
thanks from our hearts, from the depth of our souls as we consider both your majestic names, your truth, your word, your eternal loving kindness that has been given and and shown and, and poured out upon wretches such as we are. Father, thank you for your mercies. Thank you for this this song, this prayer, this praise and thanksgiving of David. I pray, Lord, that we would truly, we would determine to, to make this our daily prayer, that we will give you thanks, that we will praise you, that we will bow down before you, Father, and humble ourselves in light of who you are and all that you have done. And, Father, may we, as, as you desire for us to, Lord, to come to you, to seek you out, to seek you earnestly and early, to seek your kingdom and your righteousness, to seek out your holiness, to know the joy and satisfaction of holiness in Christ and to walk in this light. And Father, to be a vocal, living testimony to our glorious God and Savior, Jesus Christ, And Father, we, as David, look forward to an an unknown time, but a very real time that will come in our future when you will appear with a final, last trumpet announcing your glorious return, that our knees will bow in thanksgiving and praise and the glorious expectation and the fulfillment of the anticipation within our hearts. Oh, Lord, fill us with that joyful hope that is ours in Christ. Sustain us this day, Lord, with the grace necessary for this day. And may we seek it, Lord, Lord willing, should we rise tomorrow and be the recipient of your great mercies. In Jesus' holy name, amen.